Welcome to Give Methods a Chance, a podcast where we look at social science methods in practice. Dan Winchester is an assistant professor of sociology at Purdue University. His research focuses on how identity, experience, and behavior at the individual level are shaped by collective social and cultural processes. He has found religion in general, and religious conversion in particular, to be fascinating sites in which to empirically investigate these topics. His research has been published in journals such as Social Forces, Theory and Society, and the Sociological Quarterly. Dan joins us to discuss using ethnographic research to better understand religious conversion. Thank you for joining us today, Dan. Uh, Thanks for having me. So we're here to talk about ethnography. If you were to introduce this method to an undergraduate class who had never heard of it before, how would you describe it? I'd say that ethnography, it's a method in which you're answering your research questions by doing what's called uh, participant observation. So where you were actually observing and to some extent participating in the life of a group of people. So that can be a small group, um, like a you know lab group of scientists or a drug gang, a large group like an entire neighbor- neighborhood if you wanted to you know, study Venice, California or even a social institution, like a social service organization or university. And of course, there can be an even greater number of questions, interesting research questions that you can ask about each of those groups. So how do the scientists respond to failure? Um, What are the internal conversations that universities have when deciding to raise tuition, whose interests are being taken into account when they have those conversations? So these are all types of questions that you can ask among various different groups of people, but the sort of key part is that you're actually going into those settings yourself and observing what's happening and also to some extent, um, greater or lesser, depending on um, what's ethical and what is possible, um, also engaging in the activities that those people are engaging in. Um, so, you know, the second part of that um, is that you're not just hanging out when you're um, um, involved in ethnography, although that's part of it. You're also being very disciplined about how you document everything. So a big part of ethnography that often doesn't get talked about, I think, is the amount of writing and field notes that you take, um, documenting what you are seeing, uh, what you're experiencing when you're trying to answer your research questions in the field. So one of the big parts of doing ethnography is um, after you get back from the group that you're studying, you're uh, writing down as much as you can about what it is that you uh, heard, saw, experienced while you were there, because that becomes your major source of data uh, for answering your question and writing up your results in the long run. Uh, I'm hoping to use your recent research on religious conversion among Muslims and Eastern Orthodox Christians as a way to understand how this method really works. Uh, So when you were conducting this research, what were your central research questions? Well, just to kind of um, start out with a little bit uh, more broadly with the topics I'm interested in, I think that'll help make sense of sort of my interest in religious conversion is that I've always been fascinated by sociological questions about the self and personal experience. So how, how those things we often think of as very personal and individual, like our, you know, our sense of who we are, our attitudes, our beliefs, emotions, 
how those things are in large part shaped by the social groups and cultural practices that we uh, involve ourselves in. Um, so how things that we think of as purely on the inside um, actually are really heavily shaped by the outside, so to speak. Um, so I've always found religion in general and religious conversion in particular to be fascinating research topics through which to study those larger issues. So in terms of research questions, mine was pretty straightforward, and it was how does someone become a religious person of a particular type? So in one case study, I, I looked at Muslims, how people converted to Islam, what that process was like. Um, and also, in a, in a more recent case study, among Eastern Orthodox Christians, so people who are involved in, in the uh, Greek Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, etc. So, you know, oftentimes we think of being religious as about belief, but it's, it's also about identity, about being, in the case of conversion, becoming a particular kind of person. So I was interested in how that happened. Is there some kind of social, psychological process of self-change that we can document by studying up close and personal the ways that people become socialized into a new religious community and culture. And so for me, ethnography and observing and participating in the life of religious communities was, in my estimation, the best way to sort of get at that process of self-change. I was interested in learning more about. Did you have the topic in mind and then you sought out the method or are you already inclined to uh, conduct an ethnography and you looked for a suitable site to do so? Yeah, that's an interesting question um, because the, you know, the topic came first, but then the topic sort of changed in large part due to the, the methodological approach. At least when I first, uh, I didn't start out doing ethnography because I was interested in conversion. I actually started doing an ethnographic project, and this was this was back goes back to my first project on converts to Islam. Um, I was actually studying this Islamic community um, because I was interested in asking some questions about how Muslims were responding to some of the pressures and stigma they were facing after September 11th. So this was back in 2002, 2003, uh, when I started doing this research. But as I was participating and visiting the, um, the mosque, the local Islamic center, I became uh, more fascinated with some of the people that I was meeting and who were talking to me who were converts. So people who looked kind of like me in their, you know, 20s and 30s, college educated, um, many of them white, middle class, working class people um, from kind of the same types of neighborhoods that I grew up in, except that they were that they were Muslim. And I started to get kind of fascinated in this question of, well, you know, what is it? How does someone become a new religious type of person? What is that process like? So as I talked to these individuals more, my my research question kind of shifted to studying conversion. And so that's kind of how there was that relationship between, you know, topic and method. And I think that that's fairly common in ethnography, actually, that uh, you have to be a little bit flexible with the questions that you're interested in, depending on um, what the uh, the field sort of shows you as you're being engaged in the method. Did you consider having another or a different methodology as the uh, main way of gathering data, or did you draw on other methodologies when you were conducting the research? Yeah, I I didn't really 
consider other methodological approaches, major ones like uh, survey research or an experimental design, for example, um, not because I think that those methods are um, not good methods. They just weren't the best type of method for the question that I was interested in. So, you know, asking after this sort of social, asking questions about this social psychological process about how conversion happens and what are sort of the effects of conversion on the experience of uh, real people, that would be a really hard thing to track through through a survey design, for example. And so I, I did think from the outset that uh, ethnography was kind of the, the way to go. Um, that being said, I have used some more sort of text-based or, or discourse analysis on documents that I collect while I'm doing my, my research. So I've, you know, I collect literature from the groups that I'm studying, and I often use that in my, uh, to help answer some of my questions as well. And I think it's also helpful to do, in any ethnography, to do a little historical work um, as well to kind of get the historical context of the communities that you're, that you're studying. So we talked a little bit about how the questions you're asking related to the method. I'm wondering how your methodological choice fits with the theoretical framing of your questions. Yeah, I mean, kind of like research questions and method, there's also this ongoing dialogue between theory and method. Um, I think that's the case in any, with any methodological approach, but I think it's it's uh, very dynamic in ethnography. So there's always this dialogue between theory and method or, you know, in, in simpler terms, between how you're thinking about your research and how you're actually conducting the research. So when, when I first started doing research on conversion, for example, one of the things that I learned from spending time in the field, you know, observing, talking with, participating in the life of these religious communities, is that conversion was in large part sort of driven as a process through practice, through doing particular types of religious things every day in daily life. And so that particular finding that sort of what people do influences what they think and feel and experience, sometimes more so than the other way around, right? We often think sort of as, as oftentimes, especially with religion, as belief driving action. I found that there was kind of this way that doing religious things on a daily basis, sort of strengthened belief and sort of inculcated religious experience. And so that led me to really think a lot about theories of practice in sociology and also theories of the body, how what we do with our bodies really influences how we perceive and experience ourselves in the world around us. So I think that's, you know, a clear example of, of how what I was learning while doing ethnography really shaped the types of theories that I was engaged with. And I think that that type of ongoing dialogue between your theory and your method is one of the real interesting, really interesting and dynamic things about doing a participant observation. The focus on uh, practice and what people are feeling or on, on their bodies, it seems like a difficult thing to access as a researcher. So how did you go about collecting data? And then what was your sampling strategy in, in trying to implement that plan? Yeah. And so in terms of access, I mean, that obviously goes through different stages or levels. I mean, 
the first sort of level or stage of access is just getting access to the communities that you're interested in studying um, to answer your questions. So in my case, that meant, you know, going to, you know, churches and earlier on to mosques and, and asking religious leaders if it was okay um, to do this type of study. It was okay to hang out, to participate to the extent that, you know, people felt comfortable in the life of the religious community. And luckily for me, um, most, uh, most of the groups were very opening and accepting to me doing that. But then, of course, you know, there's always the issue of access. How do you get access to pe- people's lives, people's experiences, people's feelings? And, of course, you can never, you know, do that, you know, completely. You're not, you don't become a mind reader. But, again, one of the things that you do get some insight on by um, get some insight into by uh, participating in the life of community is how participating in particular types of activities by involving yourself in particular types of social relationships, how those things start to change the way people understand uh, and experience the world. And part of the way that you you understand that is by, in some sense, doing those things yourself. So I was invited um, in, in all of the religious communities that I've studied to involve myself in some of their practices, whether that's listening to a sermon or being involved in a liturgy, prayer, fasting. And so all of those uh, invitations to participate were ways that I started to get data, uh, information on how involving yourself in particular types of religious activities or practices starts to sort of change you in particular ways. That, of course, doesn't mean that I converted myself it doesn't mean that it's some sort of, uh, again, insight into the deep, dark recesses of people's psyches. But I think it does give you some uh, very valuable information on how um, social relationships, on how culture um, shapes people's sense of individuality. Would you be willing to talk a little bit more about sampling and deciding what churches to go to or, or what people you wanted to track? In terms of sampling, obviously, qualitative researchers don't sample in quite the same way that quantitative researchers tend to do. So, you know, oftentimes survey researchers, for example, are interested in generalizing about a larger population. Um, But ethnographers like myself are usually interested in um, generalizing about social phenomenon, um, things like social process. So instead of asking, you know, how many people convert and, you know, using my research as an example, um, I'm more interested in sort of how do people convert the process, the phenomenon. And so the trick in sampling there is to try to find cases that are representative of that larger process. So in my case, my sample was kind of, again, this proceeded in levels. So at first I had to decide sort of what religious traditions I wanted to uh, study because conversion happens in almost every religion. And so, you know, part of the reason I've chosen uh, first, you know, Muslims and then uh, more recently Eastern Orthodox Christians is because uh, most of our research on conversion is actually among evangelical Christians. And so I wanted to try to find cases that were in some ways different than those to see 
if our theories of the conversion process, you know, which which portions of that may be more general and which portions of that may be particular to evangelical Christians. So again, I wanted to choose cases that were were different than the usual suspects, so to speak. In terms of communities, this can be sometimes easy and sometimes hard. Um, In my first project among Muslims, it was actually fairly easy because there was only one mosque in the entire, this was in Missouri, in in mid-Missouri, there was only one mosque between Kansas City and St. Louis that Muslims could go to, uh, go to uh, worship. So in my case, it became, you know, if I wanted to study Muslims, and if I didn't want to travel outside of the state, um, that became the the, uh, most uh, relevant choice for me. Uh, More recently, I was studying Eastern Orthodox Christians, and I found that Minneapolis-St. Paul was a very, in Minnesota, was a very uh, sort of diverse and vibrant Eastern Orthodox uh, community. Um, but there were, ve- there were much, much uh, larger number of churches, and so I had to make decisions there about which churches I wanted to spend the majority of my time in. And so with those communities, I tried to make sure that I was getting a range of different kinds of churches in terms of size, the percentage of uh, converts to people who had been born and raised in the church, the sort of ethnic background of the church, whether it was Russian or Syrian or Greek. And in terms of individuals, for example, when I wanted to start interviewing people about their conversion process and experience, I also wanted to make sure that I was getting a diverse group of people. So when I was Uh, sampling there, I wanted to make sure I got a broad range in terms of things like age and class, social class and race. And I also wanted to uh, also get people at different times in their conversion career or or conversion process. So people who had, you know, were just starting out and maybe hadn't even uh, converted officially yet to those people who had um, been a part of the church for decades. And so those were my main strategies in terms of of sampling. Um, the big, I think the big point there is that um, you're sort of letting the questions and the theory sort of guide your sampling uh, techniques. You're doing this with sort of a, a theoretical framework in mind. How did you balance some of the uh, breadth and depth when you were choosing how many churches to go to? Uh, it seems difficult because you want to uh, interact with all these different types of Orthodox churches and you want to talk to different types of people. But at the same time, it seems like a very time-intensive method. Yeah, it is a very time-intensive method. I mean, I think that that's, that's one of the benefits and the drawbacks. I mean, it, it's not a good method often to get a project done quickly, but it's a good method uh, to often get a, a very thorough understanding of the of the groups that you're working with. But there is this, you're right, there is this balance between breadth and depth and sort of, I don't think there's any perfect way to handle that balance. But the way that I did it is that I knew, you know, as one person with a somewhat limited amount of time, like we all have to get our research projects done, I knew that I could probably only handle doing really in-depth research in about three churches. Um, And I spent about six months in each of those three three churches and religious communities. But before I picked those particular communities to spend a lot of time uh, with, 
I did, and this is where I tried to balance that depth with some breadth, I did do sort of an early part of the research by going to all of the churches in the area, um, meeting the religious leaders and, uh, and laity in those churches, asking questions about the different types of communities in the area. And I also made sure I conducted interviews with people, um, not just in the three churches that I did my participant observation in, but also in all of the churches in the in the area to make sure that what I was looking at in those three communities was not just anomalous or, or particular to those groups. And so I, I did try to balance some of the depth of my observations and, and participation in those communities with a wider look onto the uh, in the Twin Cities Orthodox scene. Were there un- any unexpected barriers or uh, did anything go wrong when you were out in the field? Well, you know, I think when you're studying any social group or, or culture that's a little bit different than the ones that you're used to, there's always sort of an experience or belief barrier there where you just don't understand things very well. And that can, you know, that can lead to awkward moments and, and sometimes initial challenges and in trying to figure out. Uh, what's going on? For example, the um, you know the first any you know the first time I went to an Eastern Orthodox liturgy, liturgy which is you know their Sunday their Sunday service. It's a it's a very intricate ritual that it involves you know dozens of different prayers and lots of different movements and prayers and all sorts of things. And I had no idea what was going on, and so. Part of the best thing to do there is, if I always can, is to try to make my way to the back and become more observer, at least in those first few <laughs> times, to the church. So those types of, you know, those are just sort of the ex- expected barriers to going into a place that you're not familiar with. So there's always those types of barriers. But part of the thing that you're trying to do ethnographic research is to learn how to bridge those barriers. And, and, and bridging those barriers actually is part of your data collection process. So um, when you're starting to understand how the world works from the perspective of a particular group of people, how their social relationships and, and practices work. And, you know, there's also issues of trust. This kind of goes back to your question about access. I mean, part of the reason that people give you access to their lives in one form or another is because they are giving you some amount of trust. And so, you know, those can sometimes, those issues of trust are things that you have to treat very seriously and ethically. And they can be touchy depending on what types of questions you're asking. For example, when I did my, I think I mentioned before that when I started my research project on Muslim converts, it was just a a year or two after September 11th. And so, to their great credit, the Muslim community gave me access to their community. People talked with me. People treated me very well. But there was, I think, understandably also some wariness and distrust about an outsider coming in to study the community because they were under a lot of scrutiny, like many Muslims were across the United States at the time, um, from outsiders. And so you know, that presented challenges and also presented some some issues where I had to think very carefully about the ethics of, of observing a group that was under sort of added scrutiny at the time. And I think that those types of things are actually fairly common among uh, ethnographic researchers. 
did you discuss this with other people? Or how did you uh, determine what was appropriate to ask, what was not appropriate to ask? How did you figure out how to handle those somewhat touchy situations? Yeah, I mean, in large part, I, I kind of relied on the... I kind of relied on the on the on the judgment and the opinions of of the people who I was I was studying. So you know, if I if you know, I would ask questions about you know, is this is this okay? If there are any things that I'm asking you that you don't feel comfortable with or don't want to answer, you know, it's perfectly fine. Where should I stand while everyone's praying? Right. <laughs> All of these things are, are things that I was try- I tried to be upfront about and with the, the group of people I was studying. And again, uh, I think that worked fairly well because I think just asking questions and being upfront about the types of things that you're interested in learning, people, you know, look at that as, as both that you're serious about um, them and your research and, and that you're also being uh, respectful of the fact that you're you've been sort of allowed into a particular aspect of their lives. And so that's how, uh, that's how I handled it. And of course I also asked, you know, this was probably my first major project as, as, uh, as a researcher. And so I also spent a lot of time asking questions of sort of more seasoned, uh, researchers than myself. So I was in grad school at the time. So I was asking questions of my advisor, um, of other professors who do this type of research. And so that was, that was helpful as well. Okay. So after you spent all that time in the field, I'm imagining you have pages upon pages of field notes, which you mentioned before when you were discussing what the method is. How do you go about analyzing all that data? Yeah, that's, that's one of the challenges that you run into because you do, like you said, you have these pages of pages of data all of these uh, observations and interviews. And so you spend a lot of time, I think throughout the process, doing a lot of coding and uh, analytic memoing. And so with coding, you're, you're basically taking your field notes and your interview transcripts. And I do this throughout the, throughout the project, not just at the end. Uh, I think most people do. But you're sort of looking at your, your field notes and your interview transcripts. And you're looking for sort of patterns in the data. You're, you're trying to make, you're trying to connect things that are reoccurring, social patterns that are reoccurring in your field site, sort of trying to connect them together. So, you know, here are all the, you know, observations you have of, particular ritual or a particular type of social interaction. And then with your memoing, you're basically, those are sort of are, are, are starting the building blocks of your analysis. So after every field observation I do, I, you know, write up my field notes afterwards. And at the end of the field notes, I always sort of write a memo about what I think is going on, how what I'm observing in the field is sort of relating to my research questions and relating to sort of the theoretical frameworks that I'm thinking about bringing to the to the analysis. And so uh, that sort of process of coding and memoing sort of starts at the very beginning and continues all the way till the end of the research. And as as the research goes on, those codes and those memos um, ideally uh, start to cohere into a more uh, sort of stronger, uh, more coherent analysis. Uh, You mentioned the idea of generalizability. Uh, a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. So both generalizability and validity are central concepts, especially when students are first learning about research methodology. Um, and people who are using different methods talk about these in different ways. So I'm wondering how this factored into your project or how you how these ideas guided what you were doing. Yeah, so with generalizability, again, I was interested 
not so much in generalizing about population, but more about a social process. In this, in this case, the process of conversion, or uh, more broadly speaking, the process of identity change. And so, this kind of again, I, this guided my my research project. You know, first of all, in terms of the the cases that I selected, again, I wanted to add to the case studies already out there on uh, religious conversion. Um, by uh, studying some groups that hadn't been studied much before. And again, to sort of test whether our theories about how conversion works, um, how that process takes place, what it does to people in terms of their self-understanding and their experience of the world around them, whether those things could be expanded by looking at uh, some groups we hadn't looked at too much before. So I definitely did think about that generalizability, generalizing about the process when I was doing, you know, before and when I was doing my research projects. In terms of validity, I mean, that's a very, uh, that is a very important aspect of any research. You want to make sure that what, you know, your major concepts, your measurements, your data, that all of these things are actually lining up with reality in some form or fashion. So with with ethnography, I think that, you know, one of the ways that you try to ensure validity is by constantly questioning your own uh, interpretations of the data, questioning if how you experience and observe what's going on, how that lines up or does not line up with the people that you are studying. And this is part of the reason that ethnography and participant observation often take such a long time is because part of the process is, and this is part of the process of ensuring validity, is putting your initial interpretations, your initial assumptions to the test over and over again to make sure as much as possible that the things that you're learning, that the thing, that the way that you're interpreting things is solid and uh, not just the sort of the off, off the base of a first uh, few initial impressions. So we've talked a bit about coming up with the questions, your time in the field, what you do with the data. Would you be willing to share one of your findings or contributions you made to sociology? Sure. Uh, hopefully I've made a couple. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you could just choose one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah we, that, that's the hope when doing a research project. So, um, and I hope to continue making those. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, what what are the sort of key findings that I in my research on conversion is is um, about the importance of practice and the importance of the body to to self change and and to conversion. So again, I talked a little bit about this before, but you know, and most of the times when we think about religion, we we focus a lot on belief and how people sort of change their ideas. And, and how this is important in the conversion process, at least until recently, we didn't spend as much time thinking about the importance of uh, what people are doing, the activities that they're involved in with religion and how um, doing things with one's body in everyday life can have a sometimes profound effect on the way people sort of understand themselves and experience the world around them. And so one of my core findings has been how engaging in particular types of religious practices like prayer, fasting, in the case of Muslims, uh, of veiling, wearing hijab, um, how these things actually 
over time change uh, the way people understand their own identities and change their perception on the world. And so one of my sort of contributions has been to sort of theorize more uh, in depth how practice shapes the self um, and, and does that through bodily experience. Who do you see as your intended audience for uh, when you're writing up your findings? Um, and did that shape the research project along, at any point along the way? You know, I, you know, obviously as, as sociologists, um, our primary audience is, is often other sociologists. And so um, I was interested in talking to people who are interested in, obviously people interested in the sociology of religion. I was also interested in talking uh, to, to scholars who had an interest in how culture um, shapes action and experience and identity. Um, and so these things did shape the research in terms of the types of initial questions I was asking, um, what types of data I found relevant or not relevant to those questions. Um, so, you know, the audience is in many ways uh, tied to the sort of theoretical conversations that you're interested in having uh, with a larger discipline. And of course, you know, I think most sociologists are also interested in in uh, in sharing their work with with people outside of the discipline, um, people in the quote unquote real world who might just have an interest in their field of study. So there are lots of people out there who are interested in religion who may not be interested in theories of the body and cultural practice, etc. And so I I always try to write a little bit with those those folks in mind too, if, you know, am I saying something that would be interested, interesting to sociologists, but also interesting to people who are just interested in learning more about uh, religion or this particular group of people. So maybe as a way of concluding, could reflect back on your project and think about what are the main advantages or selling points of this methodological approach, especially to a, a group of undergraduates that maybe they're thinking about their senior project and are deciding what way they want to go. How would you really sell this method. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is your chance yeah, to make I'm your the pitch. ethnography uh, salesperson. Got it. Okay. I think, well, I think ethnography is, is a great method for people who are interested in studying things up close and personal. So being a part of the, being a part of the action, being a part of the, the thing, the process, the phenomenon that you're trying to study. You know, oftentimes, you know, we have these images of, of science and, and social science where the, the observer or the, the scientist is, is contaminating the, uh, the field by being there. Kind of a, a medical model, right? That we're contaminating the sample somehow by, by putting our fingers on it. But I think oftentimes ethnography of being a part of the activity, being a part of the action is actually really one of the one of the best ways sometimes to understand how a social process or phenomenon works. So again, in my case, I don't think I would have nearly as much understanding of how someone becomes, you know, religious over time, how someone sort of changes their identity over time, if I wasn't actually involved in those people's lives for a particular amount of time. Again, I don't want, you know, we don't want to romanticize it or sort of over, uh, over uh, estimate how much we know. But um, I do think that there is, is definitely 
a major benefit to doing long-term field work with being involved with the type of phenomenon that you're interested in studying. Well, that sounds like a, a great place to wrap it up. Thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate the conversation. All right, thank you, Kyle. On behalf of me, Sarah Loggison, and my co-producer, Kyle Green, thank you so much for listening. And remember, please give methods a chance. Mm-hmm.